0: just like to welcome everyone who's joining us for the live stream today. This is just one part of our service here at City Temple. So if you'd like to be part of the whole service, just drop us an email at info at city-temple.com or better yet, come and join us here at City Temple on Sunday mornings at 11. Uh, this morning, we have the privilege of hearing a, a good friend of mine. I've known him for about two decades now. <laughs> That's a long time. Uh, I think my hair was dark uh, back then, Uh, and uh, Avi Snyder with Jews for Jesus. Uh, Many of you, if you know City Temple, you know that we heartily support Jews for Jesus. For me, it is the gold standard of ministries that are reaching out to the Jewish people with the good news about Yeshua HaMashiach or Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Christ, as we often say. And so I highly recommend your support for the ministry of Jews for Jesus. We've supported them, uh, we've tried to support them faithfully the last 20 years here at City Temple. I've been involved with them even before I came to City Temple, so I've known of their ministry probably for 40 years now. And all the while, I've seen them as a bastion of faithfulness and genuineness. And gosh, these guys can really preach the gospel and they share with a passion for Jesus in their hearts. Uh, if you're here in the sanctuary with us, we have this brochure, hopefully you picked up, uh, It's called uh, Christ in the Harvest, uh, and I encourage you, it's got a way that you can get on their mailing list, get some free information in their newsletters, I encourage you to do that, and also, if you're looking for a missionary organization to support, I heartily recommend the support of Jews for Jesus. I can testify, that they treat all donations with the utmost integrity and faithfulness. And uh, and I've never had a worry about a penny that I've given to Jews for Jesus, that it wouldn't go in the right place and be used in the right way. So I'll heartily, heartily recommend them to you. And now I'd like to invite my friend Avi, if you'd come on up. And uh, uh, I'm gonna introduce you as you get up here. So this is Avi Snyder. I uh, often think of Avi, uh, to me, he's like the Apostle Paul. I always feel like I've met the Apostle Paul when meeting Avi. He's been such an incredible missionary. He's opened up six different nations in Eastern Europe, including Russia, uh, to the ministry of Jews for Jesus. And the passion that he has for the Jewish people and the passion that he has for the lost is absolutely extraordinary uh, he's got a book on the table uh, uh, out back as you leave today there's a uh, table you can get collect stuff from buy stuff from meet with him but he's got a book that says uh, Jews don't need Jesus and other misconceptions uh, and it is a fabulous book and I've just read his soon coming book uh, and it is one of the best books I've ever seen on evangelism Most books I've read about evangelism make me feel guilty. Reading Avi's book has made me feel empowered. Uh, So, uh, amazing stuff. So, without further ado, uh, let's welcome Avi Snyder. Thank you, Pastor Rod. No, 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 no.
1: Don't applaud, I might be a terrible person. It's, uh, it's really nice. It's wonderful to be back. How many of you were here when I was here a couple of years ago? Any of you? Am I any taller? No, just older. <laughs> no, it's a joy to be back with you. For those of you who, uh, who were here when I was here the last time, um, it's good to see you again. Thank you for letting me come back. For those of you uh, who were not here uh, during any of the times that I've been here before, my name is is Avi Snyder. I have the privilege of, of being the European Ambassador of Jews for Jesus, as Pastor Rod mentioned in the ministry. Uh, we, oh, there you are. Yeah, yeah. we've known each other uh, just about two decades. I, I came to, to the London work of Jews for Jesus just for a short time, for two years. I came in 2001. And you came just after that, didn't you? Was it two Same year, huh? Yeah, so we met just when we were both getting off the boat as my ancestors used to say. <laughs> well, so it's a, it's a good time, so we've known each other and I've known City Temple uh, for that time. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Jews for Jesus, I guess sometimes people ask me how long the ministry's been around, I'd like to say about 2,000 years, because um, people forget that of the first Christians were us Jews. People forget that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and the Savior of the nation. People forget that all of the first missionaries were us Jews. And that's who and what we Jews for Jesus are. First and foremost, we are missionaries. We like to say that we relentlessly pursue the salvation of our Jewish people. We're passionate about proclaiming the gospel to the Jew first and also to anybody else who will listen to us. Um, Pastor Rod mentioned this pamphlet. I'd like to just point it out to you briefly. Uh, the the back part, uh, you can tear it off. In fact, you want to do that with me? It's an ancient Jews for Jesus tradition. It's called the tearing of the pamphlet. You just take out your pamphlet. Got one? Anybody need one? Anybody not? If you didn't get one, would you slip up your hand? Oh, can we get a, a pamphlet to those? kind-hearted people who didn't get one? The rest of you, take out your pamphlet, go through this tradition with me, would you? We're going to tear this together on the count of three. Here we go. One, two, three! Not too bad. Um, During the course of the service, I'd like to ask you, I'd like to urge you Uh, to fill this out, to give it to me or to give it to my colleague, Ziggy, whom I'll introduce in a moment. This is our way of staying in touch with you. You're not making a promise for anything. All you're allowing us to do is keep you informed of the work of Jews for Jesus. We want you to receive our free newsletter for a very selfish reason. We want your prayers. We can't do what we do unless brothers and sisters like you are praying for us. That's the equation. You pray, we proclaim, people hear the gospel and come to faith. That's how it works. We need your prayers. So we want to send you our newsletter so you'll know what we're doing, so you'll be encouraged, hopefully, by the stories, and so you'll be reminded to pray for us. Um, If you're already getting the newsletter, I'd be grateful if you'd fill it out anyway and give it back. We we won't send you two copies. This way we can just double-check the database to make sure that we haven't lost you uh, in this technological age because we don't want to lose you. Um, In a moment um, I'm I'm eager about sharing a a passage of scripture from you, Romans chapter 1 verses 15 and 16. Um, I'm eager to to give you an update on the mischief that I've been getting myself into but before I do that I want to introduce a, a, a dear friend and colleague, uh, Ziggy Rogoff, who is here with with the London work of Jews for Jesus. There are over 200,000 Jewish people in the greater London area. The vast majority have never either heard the gospel or have never heard the gospel in a way that makes them realize that this is a message that is relevant and necessary for us Jews. Uh, Ziggy is one of the most capable people in getting across the fact, not just the content of the Gospel, but the fact that it matters to us, that we must deal with this person, Jesus, and what he said to us. Um, The work in London is very exciting, it uh, it opened up in 92, if I remember correctly, and um, uh, it's a varied team, Uh, Ziggy and and other colleagues are are reaching out to the, the British. Jews, and then there's a whole other team reaching out especially to the 70,000 Israelis who now live in London. So it's an exciting work, but I'll let, I'll let Ziggy uh, explain that a little bit more if he wants. Ziggy, would you come and uh, encourage us all with, uh, with what you want to share?
2: Shalom. Shalom. So, so shalom is the mic you. My name is Ziggy. Let me share something of my story. <clears throat> so my name is Ziggy. I, I grew up in a I'm Jewish. I grew up in a Jewish family. Both of my parents are Jewish. And we grew up keeping like the, the dietary requirements of the law. Do you know what the word is for that? You're a shy bunch, aren't you? It's called, 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 called keeping kosher. After regular school, three times a week, I went to Hebrew classes where we learned some, tr- uh, some Hebrew, but we learned mainly about Jewish tradition. If you know anything about Jewish people, we are steeped in tradition. Uh, and It's also wh- where I trained to have my bar mitzvah. Do you know what a bar mitzvah is? Whew. Yeah, it's, like it's, an, it's a coming-of-age ceremony. It's when I beca- officially became a man at the age of 13. If you'd seen me, you weren't going to be convinced. Ziggy's a a, a very short name, it's a a funny name, but it's actually short for Zygmunt, and I'm named after my grandmother's father who who perished in the Holocaust with his entire village. Um, So my name really is a monument to the memory of the millions of Jewish people who died purely because they were Jewish. Only my grandmother survived. In fact, her story is very important to our family. So in 1939, my namesakes saw the writing on the wall and they got the money together to get the illegal paperwork so they could send their daughter to England. And that's when she arrived here at the age of 26. And uh, she started working uh, as a domestic servant for an English family. So the family legend goes, one particular morning, the first morning, It's always the first morning. She was asked to cook a breakfast for the family and to cook bacon for the family. And if you know anything about Jewish people, you know we don't do the bacon, right? Well, my grandmother said that she was sorry that she couldn't cook their bacon and that she was Jewish. And the family family responded by saying they would make every single effort to have her deported. And she ran away from that home that very night. Uh, That's not how my grandmother told the story. She said that a Christian family had wanted to deport her. You see from my grandmother's very narrow perspective either you were Jewish or Christian and this family clearly wasn't Jewish clearly wasn't uh, Jewish on account of the, the bacon and when they wanted to deport her it only proved that they really were Christian. So it should come as no surprise to you as I was growing up my parents never had a kind word to say about Jesus or Christianity And I grew up with some misguided view that somehow Christians were responsible for the Holocaust. When I was doing my PhD, years later, I had a very good friend. He wasn't Jewish. He wasn't Christian. And uh, together we discussed and agreed that God was unknowable. We didn't know God. And uh, and so we, we were ignorant of things of God. And we were in the dark. But a couple of years later, to our complete astonishment, our friend became a Christian. And he invited us all to a guest event in his church. And I ended up going along, and I ended up doing a short course called Christianity Explored, and I ended up looking at one of the eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's Mark's Gospel. And I'm discovering a Jesus I never could have imagined. I'm looking at Jesus who can heal the sick, raise the dead, calm the storm with a word, and I'm thinking, could Jesus be the Jewish Messiah? But then I thought to myself, how can Jesus be the Jewish Messiah when the rabbis have been rejecting Jesus for the last 2,000 years? But about this time, a friend of mine gave me a book, this book, called Betrayed. Have you seen this book before? Yeah, I know, I've obviously seen this book. It's about a very successful Jewish uh, businessman. And one day he gets a telephone call from his daughter at university saying that she believes in Jesus and the family is upset. They're besides themselves, and above all, they felt betrayed. Without ruining the story, because I'd love you to come to the books, to our little book table and, and buy this book. It's a tremendous book. Um, everybody in the family came to believe in Jesus, and he wrote this tremendous book. And it taught me two valuable things. The first is that you can be Jewish and believe in Jesus. But even more significantly, it reminded me, taught me, that there are prophecies in our Hebrew Bible about the coming of the Messiah. And as I began to read my Hebrew Bible, I began to see that Jesus hadn't just come to heal the sick and raise the dead. He'd come, that the Son of God had come to do something far more incredible, that he had come from heaven to earth to die taking the punishments for my sins. That I, was, that I could be forgiven, not because of anything I'd done, but because of what he had done. In that very first week, as I was believing, I was overcome with two strong emotions. The first was joy, and the second was fear. Joy because I found a great treasure. I knew the truth. But then it occurred to me that I just focused all of my energy on Jesus' identity, that I didn't really understand why we, why did we even need a Messiah? Why did we need him? And that's when I realized that the Son of God had come from heaven to earth to die, taking the punishment for my sin. And then I began to be overwhelmed with fear because I realized for the very first time in my life that I'd never honored God as my King, Creator, and Sovereign Lord, that I'd never done that. I'd only lived for myself with me right at the center. I began to be overwhelmed with all the things that I had done wrong, really shameful things, things that never bothered me before but were really beginning to trouble me. But then I was overwhelmed with something even more terrifying as I began to see for the first time in my life what my attitude is like. An independent attitude. What the Bible would call sin. And that's when the penny dropped. When I realized that the Son of God had come from heaven to earth to die, taking the punishment for my sins. I was forgiven. Not because of anything I had done, but because of what he had done for me. It says in... 1 John 18, that no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And because I know Jesus, I know the Father, I know that I am forgiven. If I can leave you with a particular question, the question would be this. How familiar are you with the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible about the coming of the Messiah? This will be a tremendous thing to think about. If you want to know more about the ministry, what we're doing in Jews for Jesus, come and find me afterwards, I'd be able to love to share with you the things, exciting things we're doing. Uh, My pleasure. God bless you. Thanks, Ziggy. Good words.
1: I'll embarrass Ziggy by um, mentioning something that you will probably consider obvious after hearing his short testimony. Um, Ziggy is one of the clearest Uh, and uh, most direct and passionate and natural missionaries that we have. He has a marvelous ministry. Um, It's another reason why I very much want to make sure that you're getting the newsletter, because if you get the newsletter, you'll be reading about what Ziggy and uh, Julia Pascoe and others in the London team are doing, and you will be able to pray for them. And now you have a face uh, that you can actually connect to the London work. So, please, uphold Ziggy. Uphold him in the work. I said it before, we can't do what we do unless brothers and sisters like you are praying for us. Um, I want you to understand the heart of Jews for Jesus. And I think the best way that I can uh, give you a clear glimpse of the heart is by sharing a passage of scripture with, with you that I really love. I know that you're familiar with it. My glasses are on this cord. Let's see if I can undo this. Hold on a second. I did it. <laughs> um, I know you're familiar with the passage, but I'd like to point out some things that you might not have ever noticed before. The passage is Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, a short passage. But if you understand the heart of this passage, you will understand the heart of of Jews for Jesus. You'll understand what drives people like me and Ziggy and our colleagues in, well, we're now in in 13 countries around the world. Um, Open up to Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Would you follow along um, either on the screen or uh, in your Bible as I read from mine? Romans 1, chapter 15 and 16, this is what we read. Paul writes to the Romans. He says, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, also to the Gentile. In these two brief verses, the Apostle Paul tells all of us at least five crucial truths. If you understand these five truths, You'll understand what drives people like Ziggy, like me, like our colleagues. What does Paul tell us in these two verses? He tells us what we must proclaim. He tells us how we must proclaim. He tells us why we must proclaim. He tells us to whom we must proclaim. And he tells us when. must proclaim let me unpack this a little bit for you in the time that we have what must we proclaim if we are sincere believers sincere followers of the Messiah Yeshua the Messiah Jesus what are we commanded to proclaim verse 15 Paul says for my part I am eager to preach the gospel verse 16 he says I'm not ashamed of the gospel What did Paul proclaim? The gospel. What are we commanded to proclaim? The gospel. Now, you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, well, this is obvious, of course. We're believers in Jesus. We proclaim the gospel. Yeah, it's obvious. But, you know, it's very easy for believers in Jesus to proclaim everything except the gospel. In fact, If you are already a sincere, committed believer in the Messiah Jesus, then there are other biblical messages that you need to hear that are not the Gospel message. But these are messages designed to provoke us to love the Lord with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, with all of our strength. Messages designed to provoke us to love each other as we love ourselves. Good, solid, biblical messages. But these are not the gospel message. What's the message that the people outside this building need to hear? What's the message that people who work beside you who sit in the same lecture halls at university that you sit in? What's the message that they need to hear? The gospel. What's the gospel? Well, gospel is called good news, and it is good news. It's also bad news. So, what do you want to hear first—the good news or the bad news? You must be Jewish like me. All right, well, I'm going to give you the good news first. The good news is God loves each one of us so passionately that he's provided a way, as Ziggy spoke about, he's provided a way for us to have our sins forgiven and to be brought into a real, living, vibrant, everlasting relationship with him. That's the good news. The bad news is the only thing that we deserve from God is his everlasting wrath and judgment. Why? Because we're sinful. We're born with rebellious hearts and we practice that rebellion all of our lives. If you have doubts about that, let me give you some proof. How many of you here are parents by any chance? Yeah, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent. Okay, well think, I'm sure that all of your children are the most wonderful, gifted, kind-hearted children that were ever born. I know that. Mine too. But think back, did you have to teach your children how to lie? Did you have to teach your children how to be selfish? Did you have to teach? your children how to say mind? Did you have to teach your children how to be jealous? No, that came naturally. Did you have to teach your children how to disobey you? It was natural. We had to teach them the opposite. We had to teach them that it's right to tell the truth even if there are consequences to that. We had to teach them that it's right to share your toys. We had to teach them that it's right not to envy what other people have. We had to teach them not to be jealous, not to be spiteful, not to say unkind things to other children, didn't we? Why? Because we're born with the defective spiritual DNA. We're born with rebellious hearts. We're born separated from God because of our natural rebellion. It's because of this rebellion that our lives are pointless. No matter what we do, no matter what goal we set, no matter what what vision we strive to accomplish, even if we accomplish it, It never satisfies, it never leaves us feeling that we've done what we were supposed to do. Why not? Because we're cut off from the only one who has a genuine purpose for our life. We're cut off from the only one who can honestly say, well done. It's why our relationships don't work. Every relationship that we have is corrupted by selfishness and sin. This relationship, our primary relationship with our Father, is broken and so every other relationship that we have is corrupted and tainted. And if we go through life without solving this problem, then we have a major problem. Then we die and we enter eternity separated from God forever and you know even if we want to fix the problem we can't we don't have the ability we don't have the power to change our spiritual DNA we can't change what we are a leopard can't change its spots the scripture says we're powerless we need to be rescued We need to be rescued from the power that sin exercises over our daily lives. We need to be rescued from the judgment that our sins deserve. And that's why Jesus came. When Jesus came, when he took on flesh, when he became one of us, the major reason he came, in addition to the miracles and the teaching, the major reason he came was so that he could die, he could live the sinless life that we can never live and then offer himself. Die as the payment for our sins and then rise from the dead. That's why he came. And when we believe that he did this for us, when we ask him to forgive us, then he's forgiven. He not only died for our sins, He rose from the dead. He's alive now. Why is that important? A number of reasons. You know, when He was dying on the cross, He cried out. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ever wonder why those particular words? Probably a lot of reasons. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple of my favorite reasons. Number one, he was telling us that everything was going just according to plan. He was quoting from Psalm 22, and Psalm 22 is a prophetic portrait of the death and resurrection of the Messiah. So in one sense he was saying, it's all happening just the way it's supposed to happen. But by picking those words, he was also also crying out in that moment his own experiential agony. Jesus, the man, was experiencing the horror of being eternally forsaken by the Father. And he cried, Why have you forsaken me? That was supposed to be my scream. And that was supposed to be your scream. But he loves us so passionately that he willingly endured that agony so that we will never have to know that horror and never have to scream that scream. And he rose from the dead so that he can forgive us. Listen, if my crimes have caused someone to suffer unspeakably and then to die, I can never ask him to forgive me, even if I regret with every fiber of my being what I've done. I cannot ask him to forgive me. Why not? Because he's dead. Corpses can't forgive. But Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. And when we come to him with repentant hearts and ask him to forgive us for what our crimes caused him to endure, then our hearts hear the most wonderful words that could ever be spoken. He says to each one of us in our hearts, he says, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Now follow me. He gives us a spirit so that we have the ability now to live the life that he calls us to live. He frees us from the power that sin exercises over our daily lives. He saves us, he rescues us from the penalty that our sins deserve. He gives us the gift of a whole new relationship with him, an eternal relationship. The Bible calls it the gift of eternal life and all of this is ours if we repent and put our trust in what he did for us. That's the gospel. There's a problem. See, if you uh, tell people a message that requires people to repent, people don't like you very much. Do you ever notice that? You know, I was six foot four before I was a missionary with Jews for Jesus. So Paul tells us how to proclaim the gospel. He says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, we must proclaim this message without fear and without shame. It's one of the reasons why we Jews for Jesus historically have always sought to be very open, very direct. I'll tell you a secret. I am ashamed of the gospel, and so are you. (laughs) We are by nature ashamed of the gospel because we fear the rejection of people more than we fear displeasing Almighty God. We are ashamed of the gospel and so we choose to be silent. Even though God has told us over and over and over and over and over again, do not be silent, speak. But we don't admit that we're ashamed or afraid, do we? We we say diplomatic things to ourselves like this. We say, well, um, I don't want to offend anyone. That's not really true. What we mean is, I don't want that person to get angry with me i don't want that person to dislike me i don't want that person to disapprove of me you see the most important thing in my life is that everybody likes me in fact the most important thing in the universe is that everybody likes me in fact that's why jesus died and rose from the dead right so that everybody will like me right no Uh. Long ago, we Jews for Jesus made a very important strategic discovery. We discovered what people think of us is not the issue. What people think of Jesus is the issue. Whether or not people have had the opportunity to hear the only message that can rescue us, that's the issue. I'm going to make you a promise. That's dangerous, isn't it? I'm going to make you a promise. Of course, I'm leaving afterwards so it's safe. (laughs) I'm going to make you a promise. I promise you that if you spend hours every week deep, intense prayer, and if you spend hours every week in deep, intensive study of the Word of God, and then if you go out, and share the Gospel, I promise you people will still not like you. I promise you. We must proclaim the Gospel. Lovingly, clearly. We must proclaim the Gospel. Why? Paul tells us. He says in verse 16, it is the power of God unto salvation. What does that mean? Well, very simply, that means that without the gospel message, people die and go to hell. That's what it means. That's not um, a correct message to, to let people know. It just happens to be true. It's such an amazing thing. The world thinks that if someone gives them a message that they dislike, that's a great offense. God forbid, if I were dying of of cancer and you were a doctor and you had the cure of the particular cancer that I'm suffering from, the only cure, and you come to me and you tell me that I'm going to die unless I take that cure. Because you're my doctor, you tell me this. How should I respond to that? Should I decide? If I I decide that what you're saying to me is not true because I don't like that message, what would you say to me? You would say, Avi, you have a problem with reality. The issue isn't whether or not you like the message. The issue is whether or not the message is true. Here's the truth. Without the gospel, people die and go to hell. That's the truth. That's the truth. Most of us are strangers. Some of us have met when I've been here before. But I'll tell you something uh, straight from my heart. I, I meet people all the time. They tell me that they're um, sincere believers in Jesus. I believe them. And they tell me two things. First, they tell me how much they love my people. It's always nice to hear. And then they let me know that I'm committing a great crime by telling my fellow Jewish people about Jesus. I I was on a WhatsApp last week with a primary evangelical leader in Poland because of of an outreach of a a project that's being built there. Who first agreed to meet with me and then called me back to tell me how he would not meet with me because, because of the offensiveness of what I do. And he went on to tell me how much he loves my people. And how many good Jewish friends he has, and how many strong relationships he has with different rabbis. And how dare I communicate this message and expect him to stand with me. He would never do such a terrible thing because he loves my people and respects my people so much. Let me ask you a question. If a doctor had the cure to cancer, my cancer, my people's cancer, and if he deliberately withheld the message of that cure to me and to my people, specifically and only because we're Jews, is that an act of friendship and love? That's an act of aggression. Do you see what I'm saying? This is such a passionate issue to me. I actually wrote a book about it. (laughs) Pastor Rod mentioned it. Jews don't need Jesus and other misconceptions. Of course my people need Jesus. And so does everybody else. Because only the message of the gospel rescues. Only the message of the gospel saves. Paul tells us what we must proclaim. The gospel tells us how we must proclaim. Without fear, without shame. He tells us why. Because only the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He tells us to whom we must proclaim. He says in verse 16, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Oh, that's a problem, isn't it? Why did he have to suggest some kind of a priority here? (laughs) Why did he have to say to the Jew first? Couldn't he have just said to everybody? Was Paul a, a Jewish nationalist? No, Paul was a Jewish missionary. And Paul understood the only call that we Jews have ever received. Let me explain. Paul, a nice rabbi From Tarsus, as a believer, was called to be the apostle, not to us Jews, but to you. He was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Why? Paul understood the call, the only call that Israel as a people has ever received. Do you know what it is? There's only one call to be an evangelistic light to the nations, to be a nation. Of messengers and missionaries to the other nations of the world. That is the only call that the people of Israel has ever received. And Paul says in Romans chapter 11, that call has not been revoked. Didn't you ever wonder why Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, always began his ministry in every new city by first bringing the gospel to us? to his fellow Jews, he understood the strategy. You get the message to the future messengers so the messengers can do their job and get the message to the world. You see, we can't proclaim the gospel until we believe the gospel. And we can't believe the gospel until we hear the gospel. And we can't hear the gospel until someone brings it to us first. I've had the privilege of being a missionary to my people for over 43 years. I've had the privilege of of living in six countries, six cultures. Why? Two reasons. Because I love my people and I want to see them saved. And number two, because I want to see my people do their job. I live for the day when the globe will be covered with Jewish people fulfilling the call, standing shoulder to shoulder with you in the forefront bringing the gospel to the nations who so desperately need to hear. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that only us Jews are supposed to be missionaries. I'm not even saying we're very good missionaries. We're just very loud missionaries. (laughs) And every one of us who's a sincere believer is called to be a witness in some fashion, in some way. I'm not not discounting that. What I am saying is that there's only one entire nation, one entire people, that was specifically charged with the task of being a nation of messengers. That's us. That's the only call that we've received. And Paul says that that call has not been revoked. That's why I love Europe so much. It's not just because it's my ancestry. I probably mentioned this the last time I was here. Uh, Two years ago, um, we were on the verge of launching this new project in Poland. Well, it's well underway. Last August, we had a 10-day outreach in Warsaw. If you know anything about the history of what happened to us in that city, you'll understand why we had to go back with the gospel. There are so many cities throughout Europe that they must hear the gospel from the lips of us Jews. We have to go back to the cities where we died proclaiming God's message of life. We have to. It's our moral obligation. So the project is called Life from the Dead. What a phenomenal project. Listen to this team that we had out on the streets of Warsaw. Jews, including European Jews and Israelis. Jews, Poles, Germans, and post soviets You can't even get those people together in a room! But with Jesus, we were there together proclaiming the gospel shoulder to shoulder to Jews and non-Jews. And to say that we were noticed and made an impact, I am proud to boast in the Lord to say that that's an understatement. So it was a good beginning. Next August, we'll take it to stage two. So I want you praying about that. And if you fill out that card, I'll keep you posted on what's going on so that you can be praying about it. Finally. Paul says, Paul explains when we must proclaim the gospel. Verse 15, he says, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. There's an urgency in the words. You want to guess how old I am? Anybody want to guess? Come on, take a guess. 60. <laughs> 60? God bless you. Anybody else? (laughs) I'm almost 71. Been a missionary for um, 43 years and some months. It's been a good four decades. It's been a fast four decades. Do I have another 40 years left to preach the gospel? No. Do I have 10 years left to preach the gospel? I don't know. Do I have a month left to preach the gospel? Do I have five minutes left to preach the gospel? Some of you are hoping, I don't have five minutes left to preach the gospel. Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 9? He said, we must do the work of him who sent me while it's day. Soon it will be night when no one can work. Brothers and sisters, night is coming. You think it's hard to preach the gospel now? Stick around. Night's coming. For me, probably that means that uh, either Jesus is coming back for me soon or I'm going to him pretty soon. Night's not a bad thing for me. But one way or another, night's coming. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when the gospel must, must be proclaimed. So, pray for us Jews for Jesus, huh? Pray that we'll preach the gospel. Pray that we'll preach it without shame. Pray that we'll pre- preach it to the Jew first and to everybody else who needs to hear it. Pray that we'll preach it so that others like us can join us and preach the gospel to the world pray that we'll preach it now while it's day. Pray for us. And I'll remember and continue to pray for you. Let's pray now. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, we thank you so much for giving the gospel to us. I don't know uh, people's individual stories here. They don't know mine, but... We have this in common, that you brought the gospel into our lives. And by the power of your spirit, we were moved to repentance and saving faith, and you brought us to yourself. Father, I pray that you would um, use all of us in whatever ways you want to be able communicators of your message, the only message that can rescue us. And Father, I pray that if there's anybody listening to this message today, either here or on Zoom, anyone here who, who hasn't yet really ever repented of his or her sins and given his or her life to you, Lord, let this be the day when they no longer put you off, but surrender their lives to you. I want to ask you to keep your eyes closed for a moment, I'm not gonna do anything outlandish, but listen to me a moment longer, would you please? If you know in your heart that you have never given your life to him, maybe you've heard the message all your life, but you know that you've never dealt with that message, you've never repented, do it today, do it now. Just resolve in your heart right now and ask Him to forgive you. And make an earnest pledge to follow Him sincerely by the power of His Spirit, not in your own strength. That's all you have to do. If you take that step right now, quietly in your own heart, if you're here in the sanctuary, doing that even now, then afterwards, would, would you come up to Pastor Rod, let him know what you've done, or come up to me, or come up to Ziggy, or maybe turn to someone here who you know and trust. No one's going to embarrass you, but just acknowledge that to one of us, and let us, let us congratulate you, let us comfort you, let us pray with you and encourage you. Father, thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the forgiveness that you give us in Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Amen,
0: amen. let's praise the Lord for Avi. Hallelujah, Lord, thank
1: you.